your host, George Mackay, back again, pre-recorded in studio with another fantastic guest. Very excited to bring him to the uh, Straight Talk Studios today via phone. Welcome, Cadman, to the show. How are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. Thanks for taking the time out. Man, anytime I get to talk wrestling with anyone, anybody who's, uh, you know, got the guts enough to step in that squared circle, I'm all about it. I appreciate you taking out the time for me today. Uh, no worries. Thank you. All right. So one of the standard questions I always ask all the time, it's kind of my go-to, my my very first question I always do in every interview, I call it the defining moment. It's when we talk about that moment you fell in love with wrestling. Do you remember your defining moment? Um, I don't know if there was a defining moment when I fell in love, but it was like, so I was never allowed to watch wrestling growing up. My dad was into martial arts and he's like, oh, you can't do that stuff for all the reasons that he had. And then I had a friend who also liked wrestling and every Friday night, uh, Smackdown would be on because it was in Australia. Uh, it was always just on Friday night. And so just coincidentally, I'd sleep over at his house every Friday night and watch wrestling and I'd watch Stone Cold and uh, The Rock and Triple H and all these guys beat the shit out of each other. Then I ended up, that was probably when it all happened, to be honest. But I just don't have a, I don't have a moment. But then as, as I got older, I would sort of like try sneak, sneak watch wrestling when dad was out of the room and I'd hear dad come home and I'd flick the TV off and then he would leave the room and then I'd turn the TV back on and I was just mesmerized by all these larger than life people. So yeah, I don't actually, I don't recall a moment as such, but I've just got a bunch of memories. Oh, uh, a bunch of memories is great. I mean, that, yeah. that return button when you were a kid, that thing was a lifesaver, eh? Where you set two channels, and as soon as you yeah. hear dad coming in the room, you hit that return button, so it goes back That's to something right. else. <laughs> That's right. So. <clears throat> so so does dad know that uh, that you did that when you were younger, or is he going to hear it when oh, he yeah. listens to this yeah, episode? Absolutely. <laughs> no, he, yeah, he knows it for sure. He, uh and now he's now he loves wrestling, and now like he'll text me from back in Australia. John, did you see this, this, and this? I'm like, yes, Dad, I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, though. That that actually kind of segues into uh, another question that I have is is the family support. So let's actually talk about when you decided, okay, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to train. I'm going to get into a ring. When you had that conversation with Dad, what was that conversation like? Um, so it got to the point of like. So dad gave up on like trying to ban it from the house when I was like 16. So then I was just, it was just open then. So I was just watching wrestling and like, oh, I'd love to do it one day. Um, and I, I played cricketers when I was younger and I was not bad, but um, I got to a certain point. I got to like 18, 19, and then I just figured out I wasn't actually that good in the end. But um, I just kept watching wrestling the entire time, and all my friends dropped out, and dropped out of like watching it and all that sort of stuff. But then I was 21, and where I live is Bendigo. It's a country town. Um, there is wrestling that I knew of had never been to town, like never come to Bendigo, or not in my lifetime anyway. Um, apparently, there was a story that Andre came to town one time, but. I was obviously not around when, when that happened. But so this 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 wrestling show came to town, and I'm and I'm like I have to go because this is going to be the best thing ever. 
and I ended up I ended up going, and then I ended up meeting um, Orlando Jordan there. Um, and Orlando said to me, he's like, "Oh, hey, you're a big guy." I was out of shape, out of shape massively at that point. He just liked that I was tall. Um, he goes, "Yo, you're a big guy." I'm actually, I've actually just moved to Melbourne um, and opened a school. Like, you should come down. And for three weeks, it was like, oh, like, I don't know if I could do this. Like, it's such a big commitment. Like, because I worked full time. So I'd work in a factory until four in the afternoon. And then I would get in my car and then I would have to drive to training which the ring was two and a half hours away from where i had to go from go to um so there was a lot of like i should i shouldn't i should i shouldn't and then and then i realized i'm like i have to do this because i'd given up on so my only ever goal in wrestling was to touch like not even get in it just touch a ring i just wanted to put my hand on the apron like that was all i ever wanted and then I met Orlando. That night I met Orlando. I touched the ring, so I just ticked off every wrestling goal I've ever had <laughs> in, in the first night. So <clears throat> I told my parents what happened, and then they're like, "Yeah, like if if you want to do it, do it." So that was sort of the thing that pushed me over the edge. And like, well, they said do it, and Dad was because I was much younger and obviously a lot dumber. Um, I was twenty-one when I started. Um, they were always just a bit worried me driving to the city like two and a half hours every night after work. Like, and then I'd get home at like, we'd get home at like three in the morning some nights. And then I'd have to be up at seven for work the next day. Like I remember I, I, uh, tore my intercostal muscles, which is like the muscles that uh, hold your ribs together. Mm. Um, I tore them. Like I like tore one of them, whatever. And we thought it was a broken rib, but I couldn't move. And like, if dad wasn't there, like I would have been stuck in this fact in this little warehouse, like in the in the Melbourne Western suburbs, um, because I couldn't I couldn't physically sit upright because it hurt so bad. So thank God dad dad was on board and came down with me for the drive. So because I would have been stranded there. But no, they they were always very supportive and still are to this day. Like it's almost embarrassing them, especially my mother, like sharing things. Mum mum thinks I'm the rock. But I mean, my, my, my bank account doesn't look like the rock. I'll tell everyone that. <laughs> well, you got the charisma for sure. The bank account will eventually get there one day. So you mentioned yeah. you mentioned that mom and dad are, are still back in Australia. Yep. So you are right now currently in Ontario, correct? In Toronto, yep. In Toronto. So when you you trained with um, uh, Orlando for a little bit. When did you mm-hmm. decide that you know what I gotta I gotta leave Australia and I gotta go I gotta go where I can get a little bit more experience or a little bit more you know matches under my belt? Was the choice Canada first or was it the U.S. first? Um, so the point I realized I had to go was about three years in because three years in I had a tryout and that's when um, that was a tryout that Rhea Ripley got signed out of, mm-hmm. um, and it. Up until that point, I'd always just like, I loved it, don't get me wrong. And I'm like, this is the best thing ever. And my dream was like, could you imagine like doing this for a living? Like that was always, it was always so unattainable for me because just I wasn't in great shape. I wasn't in good shape. I wasn't 
you know, I was just, just what it was. It was what it was. And I was, I was loving doing it on the weekends and like training or whatever. Like it was the best, <clears throat> but it was never, it was never realistic for me. Um, and then I, that triad I got in Melbourne, it was, it was just a big like taste of what could be. And I'm like, wow, this is like, that was when like a light went off in my head and I'm like, maybe I should like look into this and like take it a bit more serious. Um, and that was the point when I realized I had to go do something else. Like I had to go somewhere else because I'm sure I could have learned more in Melbourne and I know, I no doubt I could have learned more, but I just felt like it was time to go. Like it was time to go something else. Cause I felt like I'd got what I needed out of the place, like learning wise. But I mean, and if anyone from Melbourne's listening to this, like I'm not, shitting on anyone like it was just my personal opinion on myself um and then at that point on that was when that's when i decided to go and and then i would have loved to go on to the u.s um because you know the u.s is like the wrestling mecca but um it just visa wise it was too hard then um we tossed, so we, I, I actually moved to Canada with my girlfriend. She's, a, she's Australian too. Um, so we actually tossed up going to Japan as well because Japan has the wrestling scene and whatever. Um, but the language barrier, the language barrier for her was a bit, was a bit much. Mm-hmm. So we, so then we were like, well, it's pretty easy for us to go to Canada because it's because of the Commonwealth. Um, so then we ended up, and then I ended up meeting uh, Santino Morella at a show in Melbourne. The like my local promotion brought him in, and he had a pizza eating contest with uh, Mr. Juicy. Um, but uh, he said, "Oh, hey, yeah, I've got a school in Ontario," uh, and that was it. That was that was the sole reason why I came to Ontario was because of Santino Morella. Hey man, if you're gonna if you're gonna train with somebody, I mean, I interviewed Anthony a couple episodes back, and he is one of the most genuine, most humble people. But you can see it in his eyes that he doesn't take shit or tolerate shit. If you're there, you're there to work. And from every one of his students that I've interviewed so far, that seems to be the case. He's firm but fair. Yeah, you've only interviewed you've only interviewed the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I feel like I've, I feel like I've tapped out the battle arts uh, roster so far pretty good. I mean, uh, Freedom yeah. McRae, Carew, uh, you know, oh, Bianca Corelli. Oh, Carew is the worst. He didn't. He didn't name drop me on the episode that he was on. No, he so didn't. I told him. I oh, know. I'm offended. He goes, "Oh, he's like, oh, I do most. Of, I do most of my stuff with Nathan." I'm like, "How many tag team championships have you won with Nathan?" He's like, zero. Like, oh, well, you've won two with me. Right, so and stick with the winner. Like, That's right. I know, and I couldn't even get a mention. Oh. So I'll tell him that I, I buried him. Yeah, you buried him hard on this one. That's it, Carew? He sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so you move to Ontario with your girlfriend. You settle in. You, you, you go see Santino, and you, you lock up everything. You get, you get signed up in there. And character-wise, were you always, like, you know, there's a couple different variations of the name. There's, you know, Cadman Turner, obviously, Cadman, the mighty Cadman. Um, do you, did you automatically go to that character, the cowboy hat, the black vest, all that kind of stuff, or did you evolve into that? 
Yeah, I've... Um, no, so I started... Uh, when I started, I wore, like, the Kevin Nash pants and, like, a singlet. Because um, I was tall, so immediately I'm related to a tall wrestler, so I'm now Kevin Nash. Mm. And then... And then I ended up losing a bunch of weight, and then I went to, like, trunks. But, uh... And then I was just always just, like, just like me. Um, and then I ended up coming here, and I was still just in those trunks, and I ended up teaming with Carew. And then we ended up getting, like, the camouflage pants and whatever. And your stereotypical tag team wrestlers in, in 2019, look, just wear, just wear camouflage. Um, insert generic tag team here, and then that's us. Um then I went to, and then I started wrestling with uh, Rock Solid, and Rock Solid, and I and I am a huge fan of like '80s wrestling. Uh, I love it. I think it's the best. It's just uh, the promos, the work. I I, I, I just think it's so good because it's so simple. It it tells the story. It like all the flips are awesome. Like, I can't do the flips. Maybe that's why I don't like. Uh, it's not that I don't like it. It's like that, like. I remember, I remember when I was younger and I watched Arn Anderson finish a match with a suplex. And I'm like, that was the coolest ever. And I didn't know why. I didn't understand why it was so cool. But, um, but Arn Anderson finished a suplex. I'm like, that was the best match like I've seen. And I couldn't figure it out. And now I realize it was all the psychology leading up to it. But um, so, yeah, that 80s style and, like, everyone in the 80s is a cowboy, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm from the country, and I love country music, and it's, it's, it's all actually, like, it's pretty genuine, like, the cowboy stuff. Um, I, I own multiple pairs of cowboy boots and hats and whatever, and belt buckles, and so I liked 80s wrestling, uh, and I decided, like, why don't I try to do that, I guess, um, and it worked out somewhat, but, uh, like, rec- like, only, I've only had two matches but with it I've changed my look up again so I'm always trying to change my look up like I don't want to I don't want to because it's the indies and like because it's the indies not everyone's looking at the indies so it's like if I'm a cowboy for a year and it doesn't explode or whatever I'm just going to move on I'm just going to change it up because I have say I have 10 fans only three of them are going to remember that I was a cowboy and then I come out like, oh, hey, it's him again. You know what I mean? Like, that's what that's always the way I've looked at it. I've always looked at it and been realistic with what I'm doing. It's like, they're not going to miss me. If I go back to that town next year, they're not going to miss me not wearing a cowboy hat. You know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to say? It's like, oh, I, I absolutely, yeah, I absolutely get what you're saying. I mean, like, the so, great, the yeah, great no, thing. None of the, yeah, none of the stuff I do is, like, attached. It's not permanent. It's like, for example, you go to WWE, it's like whatever you're doing in the Indies doesn't really matter unless you're like an AJ Styles or something like that. And I'm not AJ last time I checked, so. <laughs> no, you don't have the soccer mom hair. That's one thing you don't have no. going for you. Yes. Yes, you do yeah. not have that hairstyle, so that's good. So uh, that's the great. that is the great thing about the Indies, though, to, to agree with your point there. You can change and evolve your character in so many different ways until you find something that works with you. 
But I, I yeah. mean, I've seen you wrestle a few times, and I think that you do have, um, your character is simple. I think it's just you turned up to 10. And it, it, the best part about it is, is when you're in the ring, you actually, you actually seem like you're having fun. As most wrestlers that I've seen in the indies do. They seem like they're having fun. It's not so much work for them. I mean, yes, there is an end game. You're trying to make it to one of those, you know, major promotions or get to a point where, you know, you can carry and, and earn more, uh, you know, for when promoters book you, you can start charging more because you have a name, you have a fan base and a following. But the, the first the first and foremost thing is you got to still love what you do. And when I have seen you wrestle, you definitely do love what you do. And that's the thing I think that carries over to the crowd. And it carries over into why, you know, certain promotions keep bringing you back, right? So I, I think mm -hmm. if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, it's like, it's, and now that I'm changing up my look again, I'm not just, I'm not getting away totally from that cowboy thing. It's because the cowboy thing is me, pretty much. Um, I'm just not wearing a hat, you know? It's like, I'm like a modern, let's maybe a modern cowboy, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I'm always, and I am, I am pretty much me. That's why, also why I choose my, use my own name. Like, Cadman is my real name. It's, I keep my name for two reasons like one i don't want to be you know who who what's the name like max Payne or something something like that you know like it's it's a wrestling name i don't want a wrestling name so like i don't understand i don't understand wrestling names it's like why do you have a fake name because i don't get it two um um i've totally gone blank what was i saying <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. And the second, the second thing, uh, my name's very unique. So it's like, why would I make up a fake name when I already have the name Cadman? <laughs> so it's like that's already a talking point using just my real name. So that they're my reasons why I don't have a fake name and use my real name. Absolutely, and again, your your name is very unique. I have never heard it before, so that something special for you. And also, plus, you know, you've got that Australian blood coursing through your veins. You know, you you have that like an import. It's always something that's got that little bit more of a special edge. But one question yeah. I do have is, um, you go from training in Melbourne and you move here to Ontario. Now you got two different coaches. How was the training? How was adapting to the training styles? Because I mean, every coach is going to be a little bit different, right? So when you get into when you come to Ontario and you're in Santino School, how was the training aspect? Did it differ a lot from what you were learning in Melbourne? Like, did you have to just kind of erase all of that out of your mind, go back to basics, or are you able to incorporate that into what you were learning at Battle Arts? So, I had so I, I trained with Orlando for six months, I want to say, and then the school sort of was dissolved. Like there was some sort of business issue. I don't know. Um, but then I ended up meeting a guy in Australia called, uh, his name is Ali Baez. He was the heavyweight champion uh, for OVW mm -hmm. for a while. Um, and he worked, actually like had a job with OVW for like 15 years. Or he, he, was, he produced TV there and everything like that. And he was trained by Rip, Rip Rogers. So I then get to Santino School and I'm actually learning all the same things that Ali taught because Santino was trained by Rip. So it was like... It was this giant circle, like weird circle that I was trained by Ali and then who was trained by Rip. And then I moved to Canada and I'm now I'm being trained by Santino who was trained by Rip. So it's, it was kind of like this really, really weird like circle. Like how did this happen? Like I've just moved to the other side of the planet 
and I'm being trained by the same guy who got trained by the same guy. You know what I mean? It's like, it was very weird for me. But there's a difference with Anthony. He's, uh, he wants a more, which I agree with totally, it's, he wants a more realistic style of, of wrestling. It's like, it's a competition. Um, and I agree. I think it should be a competition. I don't think it should be, and everyone has their own flavor of ice cream. So I'm sure there's some indie dork out there listening. Like, oh, but it's, it's, everyone has their own flavor. My flavor is it's a competition. It's real. Um, and you should be trying to win. It's like, yeah. And then, yes, there's a time for like a flashy flip and whatever, but it's also like, I think you've just got to put logic into it. It's like winning. I don't know if you've ever been in a fight, but in a fight, have you ever said, hang on one second, I'm just going to run, hit the roads, and come back to you? Like, it's, it's just... <laughs> no, I have been in a fight, but you're right. I have definitely never said that, no. Right, and it's like, it's like the no-selling stuff. It's like, I'm going to punch you in the face, you're going to no-sell it. Like, go out in the street and ask even a six-year-old little girl to punch you in the, in the nose. I guarantee you, you're going to sell that like a million bucks. It's like, it's... So that's that's his style. So that's Anthony's style. It's like the more real style. It's not real style. It's more like it's more a heavy MMA based style. Um, but however, the hybrid is what he wants. The hybrid of realism and professional wrestling coming into one. It's like so. It's very. It's. I almost don't think it's unique anymore because I think it's all catching on. Uh, so like when I was in it, when I was. Uh, in the UK the other week it's it's what William Regal said it's like you look at them you look at the product they produce and it's like it's a competition you look at you look at the person who's wrestling you look at their eyes it's a competition it, it's it's not about like oh hey waving and pandering to the crowd like yes there is a time and place for that but it's like when they're in that when they're in the ring and the bell's about to ring it's like I want to win. So I, I always like think of Kurt Angle, like when he was, when he was going really, really well, it's like, look at Kurt Angle, look at his face. He wants to win. So that's Anthony's, that's Anthony's take on it. And I, I tend to agree. I like that style. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's, I think that's a great style and you're right. The, the rest of the rest of the wrestling world, if you will, is definitely catching up to that. But one point you brought up and I did want to kind of touch on that is you're a big fan of the eighties wrestling. And in the 80s, yes, there was definitely more hard-hitting and the matches were more realistic and the stories were there. But you got to be honest. You look back at some matches, like you look at a guy like Hulk Hogan dropping a leg drop or an elbow drop from the top with Macho Man. And you sit there and you think, yeah, the 80s were great, but can a leg drop really put somebody away for three seconds? Can an elbow drop to the heart? Maybe. Maybe. But like in that time period, like you even mentioned, Arn Anderson, Arn, Arn, sorry, Arn Anderson finishing a match with a suplex. You look at those things now, and you look at the style. The one thing I will have to say is that the style has evolved with the times, and that more realistic side is coming out where a leg drop just can't end a match anymore, or a suplex. You really gotta decimate your opponent. You've gotta break them down, physically, mentally, and sometimes emotionally, in order to get that win. Would you tend to agree with that, or am I off base completely? No, no, no. You're totally right. It, it, I think I love it because I think I love the 80s style because of one, the characters you should name Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Arn Anderson, like all these 
giant characters. So you love it because of that. And then two, a lot of the people thought it was actually real. Like, the heel managers are getting stabbed and stuff like that. Like, so it's actually like people actually believe it. So I think that's a lot of the reasoning why I love it because there's actually like heat. The people actually hate the heels. Like, I think that's what I, I, I often see. Like, I think it'd be so cool to go back in time and wrestle in that period just because it's like the cats are fully out of the bag. You know what I mean? Um, but yes, I, I do agree. Wrestling has evolved. You can't do, you can't drop a leg anymore. Um, if Hogan came out today, though, and dropped a leg, I would buy it because it's Hulk Hogan. A hundred percent. Yeah, I have to agree yeah. with you there. hundred percent. But if I, if I go out and drop a leg, everyone's kicking out at one. You know? <laughs> well, I, ho- I hope they're kicking out at one. I hope so. If they're kicking out at two, then that means you, you're just going to get them in a couple more moves anyways. That's uh, right. So you mentioned the 80s style wrestling and stuff like that. You mentioned a few influences. Were there anyone in the 80s that you kind of you gravitated to towards more than another? And did you kind of incorporate that in your style now? Not really. Um, as, as I don't know if I have a style. Because <laughs> um, I'm always just trying because it, it's the indies. It's, you know, we've got 200 people in the crowd. It's so it's, just try stuff, I believe. Just try. If you know, like, oh, this is my soul, brother, like, this is what, come on, like, look around. Like, these people are not going to see you for another. Yes, you do have diehard fans, like, indie wrestling fans, so this doesn't apply to them, but it's like the casual fan when you're wrestling in wherever, like, some small town, it's like they're not going to see you wrestle now for another two years a year they're not going to remember what you did so i just believe in have it have an influence yeah like a big influence for me was like my favorite wrestler ever was triple h yes you and me we definitely share a bromance that's my go-to guy i love that dude yeah because when i when i when i really become fixated with wrestling like like around 14 um the uh the person on top was triple h so triple h i remember like the whole ever like there's a few people if they're listening it's like they'll hate this but like, i remember evolution and it's like i was so i knew i should have hated them but like triple h was so cool coming out suit he had the big gold belts i'm like wow i want to be like triple h but yeah i, I don't i don't think i have a style and no one influences me if anyone did influence me it probably was triple h well i do i do the harley race high knee because i saw triple h doing it uh but maybe I should change my finish with pedigree. That's a good idea. Um, but <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I just, I just think you shouldn't have a style as such. It's like, yeah, you, if you're like 180 pounds and you you can naturally do flips, yeah, I think you should stick to that. But don't just stick to that as the only thing you do because someday you're going to be asked like, hey, can you wrestle and not do any flips because I don't need that? And you, and you, you have to be able to know how to do it. So especially when you're learning and coming up, you shouldn't narrow in and like, this is how I work. This is what I have to do. You have to be able to do everything. So definitely, definitely Triple H influenced me, but I don't like to think I have a style. I, I, I guess I have a ground style just because I'm afraid to go on the top rope. So I don't know. 
Hey, you stick to the ground and that's okay. I mean, like I said, when you're as tall as you are, the ground is, even when somebody comes to the top, 90% of the time you're going to catch them or you're going to be able to stop them or, you know, you're going to be able to counter a lot quicker than if you're relying solely on the aerial acrobatics. So I think the ground mm-hmm. style is perfect. And yeah, I definitely, now that you mentioned Triple H, I definitely see in a couple of the matches that I've seen, yeah, that high knees in there and stuff like that. And you're right. I mean, Triple H was my guy. And that actually segues perfectly into my next question because talk about a guy who changed himself up so many times, changed his character so many times. I mean, you had a, a crappy character in, in uh, WCW and terrorizing, and then he came over here and he was adopting some of the Blue Blood stuff, Hunter Hearst Helmsley and the curtsy and all that stuff, and then he evolved into like, you know, DX, and we go from there to Triple H to the Cerebral Assassin, so forth and so on. So in terms of the, how many, and as well, he flipped face to heel, face to heel. That's my next question. When given the opportunity, when booked at a promotion, do you prefer to play the face or do you love getting dirty with that heel? The heel, hands down. Um, I'm naturally a bad guy, I guess. Um, yeah, being a heel is so easy. It's like you don't have to do anything. You, well, you, I mean, you are doing things, but it's 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 more fun. It's more fun getting booed. Um, and it's, it's much more like margin for error too. So it's like if I'm climbing in the if I'm getting in the ring and I trip over on the trip over on the rope and I lose my balance, that's okay because it's funny because it's like everyone's meant to boo me. But like if you're the good guy and you're meant to be this heroic athletic dude and you try spring over the top rope catch a foot that's actually funny because one time Carew and I were we were tag teaming and he goes I'm gonna like like spring over the top and then he tries to do it his ankles get clipped on the top rope and he just does this like flip bump in and like crashes and burns and he's about to be the baby face and I ended up just like losing like laughing hysterically and crying just sitting on the apron because Carew made an idiot of himself like it was hilarious so if I was a heel doing that, it would have been okay. But because we were the babyface tag team, he ruined the whole thing for everyone. So, so he, I did, I, he brought you I down. Being a heel. He did. Carew ruined my career. I think we should just talk about Carew for the rest of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of the indie matches that you've had under your belt now and the success that you've had, I mean, looking at some of your accolades, one of the things, I mean, going back to 2014 – you held the PWE Heavyweight Championship for 290 days. That's impressive. I mean, anytime you can get over a title reign, in my opinion, of a 90-day title reign, nowadays titles flip so many hands so quickly. So anytime you get over that 90-day you know, title reign, to me, that's impressive. So kudos on you for that. But I'm just curious, in all the matches that you've had now, your body of work, your resume as it is to date, is there a particular match that stands out to you is when you look back at it and you say, you know what, right now, at this point in my career, at this stage, that's my that's my best body of work so far. I've got uh, I've got a couple that stick out. Um, I did a when I just started. I think it was like two years in, maybe. And I worked this program with uh, his name's Cletus in Australia, and he's like the hillbilly type character. And anyway, we did this big last man standing match, and that's a big one that like stuck out to me. Um, because, one, I, I thought I was really, really good. And then the very next week, I had another match. And then I was with another guy who was, like, equally as green as me. And we stuck the joint out. So then that 
realize then that made me realize oh, I'm actually not that good at all. So that was that was good because I had a great match, and then I, and then it was very humbling the very next week that I was just getting reamed out by all the veterans in the back, giving me what I did wrong and like what's wrong with you? Why would you do this? And there's me thinking I was good. So that one sticks out a lot. And then recently I had a really good match with uh, Cleveland, um, the relentless John Atlas. Uh, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of that one for a few reasons, like personal reasons. Um, it was a sellout and like, we had a great match and he just had a round, he just had a round of chemo three days earlier. And he ended up, he ended up wrestling me, and then he he like he trusted me to like take care of him. So, and then we had on on top of that, it was an amazing match. Like we still talk about it now. Um, so that one's definitely one that sticks out recently. Oh, those uh, I I want, I've never seen either of those so far, but I have to go back and see. If there's got to be a link somewhere where I can definitely watch those. But that, that definitely that last man standing match sounds amazing. In terms yeah. of uh, matches that you're booked for, have you or are you comfortable with the stipulation matches? Because I know there's some wrestlers who tend to stay away from it. Some wrestlers are okay with certain stipulations. But, you know, given the opportunity, if there's a stipulation match that you haven't done, would if there's any promoters out there listening, would there be one that you might be interested in given the right opportunity in the right space? I'm, I'm fine with it. I love doing them. I love doing street fights and whatever. I, I think they're a blast. Um, I ladder matches worry me just because the heights, like I mentioned before, I'm afraid of the top rope, let alone climbing a ladder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a ladder match is a bit worried. Uh, but yeah, if it's if it all makes sense and like you've had you've had a story, like if you if you're working in the same place like month after month and you've got a story building and there are actually people that like take notice. And, people actually know who you are and they're following the story. Yeah, I think there's definitely room for like a big payoff match, like a cage match or street fight, whatever. Um, but just going in and just having like cold street fight is just weird. It's like, why? It's like we're beating ourselves up in front of no one for how many dollars and why? So... But yeah, so if anyone's listening and they want to book me into a street fighter and all that, well, let's do it six months later. Um, <laughs> I'll do it. One thing I just don't like though is like deathmatch wrestling. Just there's a very there's a, there's a difference. It's like I'm not interested in doing that, like glass and all that sort of stuff. It's it's more like in my opinion, it's just like like mutilating yourself. Um, because for a lot of these guys, they've still got to actually work a real job. Like, how do you go to work on Monday morning? You've got scars all over your forehead from glass and bamboo skewers and whatever, whatever else you've just jabbed into yourself. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, I definitely like, I definitely like doing more PG style, hardcore stuff. Like, I'm okay with blood and stuff. I just don't want to do glass. I just don't want to do spikes to the head like stuff where you can actually like get seriously like injured like what happened what where does that bit of glass go if it just lodges into your vein you know what i'm trying to say so oh yeah absolutely it, it just yeah it floats around until it eventually causes some kind of an infection or needs to get itself out so yeah so <laughs> something's got to give <laughs> something's definitely got to give there for sure in terms of your indie career thus far is there anyone that's kind of on your radar 
that you're looking for right now to kind of step into the ring with and and uh, lock horns. And also, uh, a next question in line, I guess we'll ask it, boom, boom, one, two. Dream match. Every wrestler's got one. You know you got one in the back of your head. Who would be your current indie, someone in your eyesight right now in the indie scene? And then who would be your ultimate dream match? And that's that's an open-ended question, man. We can go any time period you want. Any wrestler could be living legend, could be passed on legend, could be future Hall of Famer, could be even a current superstar right now in one of the big promotions. So those are my two questions. Um, so in the, in the end, anyone, old, anyone older than me, anyone with more experience than me, I want to work. Anyone who is better than me, I want to wrestle because that means I'm better. Um, it's, it's, you only get better in wrestling by wrestling someone better than you. It's, I'm, I'm assuming that's, I'm actually, that's like anything you do. Like you get a new job, you hang out with a guy that's been working there one week, you learn nothing. You hang out there with a guy that's been working there 10 years, you're going to learn a lot more, like, and fast. So that actually, like, there's not one person that I want to, like, off the top of my head, like Tyson Dukes and Alexander, those guys who have been around for a long time, they're the people that I want to wrestle. Um, and then for a dream match, I, there's so many. But, I mean, I think it would have been amazing to wrestle Ric Flair. Like, when he was the, when he was the world champion, um, working in the Carolinas or something like that, wrestling Ric Flair, I think for an hour, like that would that would have been that would have been pretty special. Oh yeah, Sting, Sting and Ric Flair for the NWA Championship, still one of my all-time favorite yeah, matches. All those, time. those eras, yeah, yeah. Those those time periods are lost arts for sure. Now you only get yeah. like thirty-minute Iron Man matches. Nobody goes the full sixty anymore. We haven't seen the no. full sixty since Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels at twelve. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, well, people. That's the, part of the reason people don't have the attention span for it anymore. Mm. Um, but yeah, like Ric Flair and those blood baths and like just the blood through the hair and like it's it was just awesome stuff. Like it's just the best. Like you go watch it; it's so good. You like if you see one Ric Flair match, you've seen them all. But every single one is so interesting, just because of the, what he does for the other person. Yes, and a lot of those matches, even that, like, I'm a big Sting fan. Sting is also one of my all-time favorites, much like Triple H. But even in that match, yes, 100%, Ric Flair carried him that night. He made him yeah. look 10 times better than anybody else probably could have. 100% agree with you on well, that. Well, like, like, Terry Taylor told a story once on, like, one of the documentaries. I can't remember. But it was, like, it was his turn to work Ric Flair for the championship. And Ric Flair comes in, like, no sleep, out partying the night before. And he's like, give me an hour and bring me a cup of coffee. And he gives him the coffee. They didn't say a word. He, Terry Taylor's in the ring, furious. He's like, damn, this is my time. And Ric Flair turns up, hung over. He hasn't slept. He like, didn't say anything. And he turns out the music hits. His hair's immaculate. He comes out strutting. And then they were meant to go an hour. And he said, at 45 minutes, he was begging him to pin him because he couldn't go any longer. <laughs> yeah, so I remember like, that story. Yes. Could yes. you imagine working with someone like that? That would have been awesome. That would have been that would have been definitely incredible for sure. And I, I, I guess we'll we'll touch on this. I mean, I don't know if you're allowed to fully speak about it or not, but um, the tryout. You mentioned the tryout that you had. Rhea Ripley was signed there. I've heard some some you know there's contractual obligations. They make you sign a privacy act. I'm not sure if that still stands, but I've heard those tryouts are like next level. They are some of the most grueling things you could put your body through in that short span of time. Yeah. 
is is that the case is that really is it really as bad as people make it out to be or is it tolerable but you can get through or is it just at the end of it you just want to sleep for a week like they're the most fun you'll ever have but it's also the worst thing you'll ever do it's it's fun because like you're trying out for the wwe you got the nice rings you got doc like you got doctors around like if you roll your ankle like you got physios you got everything um but then it's also like you're also wondering, like, am I going to make it through this? Like, am I going to die? <laughs> I remember we're doing the bag drill. Uh, this is this is on my second one. Um, the bag drill, and I'm like, I physically, my body, like, I was on autopilot, so it's like I couldn't, I don't know how I did it. My, I was saying, my brain was like, this is it, I can't get up. And then all of a sudden, without me even trying, I was getting up. Like what's happened? Like that was the most surreal experience that I've ever had. Like me having zero energy left, and I was saying no. Like my bank, my brain was saying no, but somehow I got up. Like without me doing it, without me actively thinking about doing it, like my my body just started moving. So like, yes, it's very very difficult, and a lot of people don't make it through it. Um. A lot of people drop out. Like some people, like the warm up kills you. The warm up is so hard. So yeah, the first warm up, um, they're trying to weed out yeah, all the uh, the stragglers. Yeah, yeah, all the stragglers, and like there's always a handful of stragglers, which is amazing to me. I'm like, you knew what was going to happen here, and like there's there's enough information online that you can figure out it's hard work. Um. So yeah, and people just turn up, not in shape, not prepared go and they they generally drop within the first 10 minutes really flown right? all the way like especially like when you've traveled for it like you've flown all this way and you don't survive five minutes so wow yeah yeah that's that's crazy and i guess my final question before i let you go my friend so you can go enjoy the rest of your evening uh is the wwe the end game is that the goal for you or is there something else in mind i've always said yeah, obviously WWE is a dream. It's the it's the biggest company, um, but I I only I only want to I only want to wrestle to make a living. If I can make a living outside of WWE, great, I'll do that. Like I just want to be able to say I pay all my bills and I have all this and I can do whatever I want just with wrestling money. So if that's wrestling, WWE now they got AEW and anywhere. I just want to have enough. I don't want. I don't want all the money. I just want some of the money, you know. So it's. I'm not greedy. Um, I just want to be able to say that my career, my my sole job, is wrestling. That's all I want. Well, I gotta say, I, I've seen you wrestle a few times. Like I said earlier on the episode, and I think your star is very, very bright. And I hope one day to see you on my television set full time. Because I think you I got, hope so. I think you got something special, my man. And I do want to take the time out now to let you know, as I let everyone know, you are now officially a member of the Straight Talk family. Anytime you want to come back on the show and do this again, I would absolutely love to have you. Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun. I, I'm glad you had a blast, and I enjoyed the conversation as well. And hopefully one day we can do it again. And next time I see you, I'll come up to you now, and I won't be so intimidated and be like, hey, it's George from Straight Talk. Can we get a picture? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not that scary. I'm just big. Yeah, there you go. You're big but lovable. Absolutely. You yeah. Go, you go enjoy the rest of your night. And again, thank you so much for taking the time out today. Thank you, George. All right. Take care, buddy. See ya. Bye.
Well, guys, that was Catman. It was absolutely epic. We talked a whole lot of stuff. He kind of smack-talked Carew a little bit. I don't know what to do. Uh, I like them both. Uh, I can't really decide. I'll let you guys decide. No, I'm just joking. That was an absolute epic interview as all the interviews are. Again, 2020 is kicking off with a bang. I can't be more happier with how things are going as we head into year number three for Straight Talk Wrestling. As always, I am your host, George McKay. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And don't forget to tune in next week. Peace. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for another episode on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Also follow us on Facebook at Straight Talk Wrestling, on Instagram at Straight Talk Wrestling, and on Twitter at underscore Straight Talk. And for all our merchandise, you can search us on ProWrestlingTees.com.